on this episode of Catholics in the Capital. Today's guests are Sister Maria Juan Anderson of the Religious Sisters of Mercy, Vincent Capmona, Chairman of the Board of Mona Electric Group, Andy and Amanda Mona from the Andrew and Susan Mona Foundation, Father Jack Hurley, Dan Dan, the Radio Man, and Mike Wasabaugh. All this and more, stay tuned. Catholics in the Capital starts right now. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am your radio host, Christina Cox, and you are listening to Catholics in the Capital on WMET 1160 AM. And we are brought to you by our sponsors, the Mona Electric Group. We are coming to you from our nation's capital, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm going to share with you an afternoon prayer, something for all of us. Lord, I give you all that I am this day. Please brush away my weariness so that I may be inspired in my work. Help me to discover new ways to reveal your love to all I meet. Keep in mind clear and focused on all I need to achieve. And give me the wisdom to overcome difficulties and find solutions. I look to you and trust you are with me this day. Amen. Well, friends, here we are in February. The weather is still cold here, but before you know it, those cherry blossoms will be popping. You know, I believe that winter is a time to plant seeds, create new ideas, have new projects, and plan for things to bloom in the spring. So whatever you're planning on doing now in these winter days, they will prosper in the spring with hard work, faith, and hope. In these dark and cold days of winter, let us think of how spring is just around the corner. And let's keep the Lord thy God in our hearts every day as we move towards the spring. Amen. Well, today's show is going to be very interesting. We're going to talk about how to handle the loss of a loved one and how hard that can be in life. It happens to each one of us sometime in our life, and to lose someone in death that was close to us, boy, that can hurt. And we have this experience, we carry out the pain all the days of our lives, but also carry the great love for that person. But today we're going to learn about how sickness and God can teach us grace, dignity, love, and faith. Each one of us will go home to God one day, but are we prepared is what we want to know. For God has a purpose for everyone's life, and for us, some purposes are shown to us even greater in death. But through sickness can be the greatest sacrifice of all, as we can love each other and see Jesus in our hearts and mind. As Jesus Christ shows us, he gave up his life for us by dying on the cross. Are we willing to go through the suffering and pain to see love in all of us? Today, we're going to meet Sister Marie Juan Anderson of the Religious Sisters of Mercy, and she will talk with us about how she came to work in Clinton, Maryland, and how their convent was given to them through the generous support of the Mona Foundation. She will share with us how the Sisters of Mercy were there to bring home two wonderful people who were sick and had died, how they helped to prepare us for their deaths, and how they prayed for their souls to enter heaven. Also joining us today is Vincent Capmona, one of my heroes, chairman of the board of the Mona Electric Group, and his grandchildren, Andy and Amanda, of the Susan and Andrew Mona Foundation. They will enlighten us with their family story of strength and how their family pulled together in a crisis after losing two family members to illness. 
Cap will talk about some wonderful people who helped him through his grief, like Monsignor Laurie, who is now the Archbishop of Baltimore, Bishop Curlin, and the Sisters of Mercy. They all cried and prayed together for Andrew and Susan with great strength, knowing the Lord's purpose for a greater life in heaven. Their great loss then turned into something greater, that through the loss they came back with love and they started helping other people in need. You're not going to want to miss these two interviews today. Get out the tissues for the tears will be flowing. You will think more deeply of your own life and your family after hearing this fantastic story. And now I have one of my favorite co-hosts, Michael Wasabaugh, better known as Mike at the Mic, who is joining me in the studio today. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I am fantastic, Christina. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, Mike, I always think of St. Michael the Archangel when I look at you as angels bring such great messages from the Lord, especially today. This is what angels do in life. They bring us messages. And with that said, can you tell us the latest report of what's happening with Pope Francis this week? Yeah, absolutely. Pope Francis has launched a special day of prayer and fasting for peace for war-torn nations, in particular for the Democratic Republic of Congo and for South Sudan that are suffering with conflicts. And he invited all men and women, regardless of their religious denomination, to join. He was addressing the crowds gathered in St. Peter's Square for the Sunday Angelus when the Pope said, quote, faced with the tragic protracted situations of conflict in different parts of the world, I invite all faithful to take part in a special day of prayer and fasting for peace on February 23rd, the Friday of the first week of Lent. So that again is February 23rd. February 23rd. Yes, I'll yes. have to first, mark that down. First Friday of Lent. He also invites any non-Catholics and non-Christian brothers and sisters to join us in this initiative in whatever ways they deem most appropriate. Also, Pope Francis has assured his closeness to the populations of Madagascar after they were recently hit by a strong cyclone which caused victims, displaced people, and wrecked extensive damage, and prayed that they be comforted and supported by the Lord. During his address following the Angelus Prayer, Pope Francis also mentioned the beatification on Saturday of a young man, Tricio Olivelli, who was killed for his Christian faith in 1945 in Hurstbruck concentration camp. Pope Francis's 2018 Lenten message is inspired by the words Jesus spoke near the end of his life on Mount of Olives regarding the end of time. Because of the increase of iniquity, the love of many will grow cold. And that, Christine, was from Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Okay, Michael, that was very interesting. Let's talk a minute about Pope Francis and these weekly messages that he's leaving. Pope Francis is like a nonstop train of travels, visits to churches, daily masses, and Christian messages to everyone in the world each day. What do you think, Mike, how uh, God provides his holiness with all this energy each day? Where does he get the energy to be traveling? And Well, it has to be from God. I mean, unless they have some kind of coffee over there that we don't have over here in the <laughs> States, because the ones that we have over here gets us through a nine to five, and that's without having to uh, you know, go all those places and, and all the traveling and all the different obligations that the Pope has. So, yeah, I do believe that and, he gets his energy. And how old energy. is the Pope now? Do you know? Oh, I have no idea. I think he's in his 70s, maybe. I couldn't tell yeah. you. But couldn't, he has the energy of a 50-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is, yeah. he is one of the more energetic Popes that in my lifetime, you know, I 
I've experienced a few. I remember Pope John, now Saint, Saint Pope John Paul II was very much a catalyst in traveling across the globe. And Pope Francis kind of seems to be taking his spot in that history books as well. Yes. And sometimes, you know, they may have ailments, like a lot of times he has sciatica. I read Pope Francis and maybe he could be in pain, but he would never show it. He's no. a very heroic Exactly, uh, Pope. and I do believe that that also comes through the graces and the powers of God. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for coming in and giving us that report today about Pope Francis. Of course. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And later in the show, Dan Dan, the radio man, will come and talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C., and, you know, this weekend is Valentine's Day, and there's some shows around town, so Dan's going to tell us all about it. And at the bottom of the hour, Father Jack Hurley, he's back, and he's going to talk about the saints like St. Saint Valentine and the meaning of Ash Wednesday and what to give up for Lent. Possibly, he said that he thinks we should give up Facebook. What do you think about that? <laughs> It'd be tough to do. I know some people can do it, but it would be very difficult in this day and age. I don't know if I could do it, but, you know, if it was work-wise. So you're not going to want to miss that segment. Well, we're going to take a short break. I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capitol, and I will be right back. Now, don't touch that dial. On Saturday, February 24th, from 9.45 a.m. to noon, all women are invited to the St. John Paul II National Shrine for tea and rosary for mothers. There's a short presentation, breakfast, meditation on the rosary, silent prayer, discussion with the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, and reconciliation. Babysitting is available, and all are welcome to stay for Mass at noon. To RSVP, go to teaandrosary.eventbrite.com. Hi, I am Christina Cox, radio host for Catholics in the Capitol, and welcome back. I have my special guest with me today, Sister Maria Juan Anderson of the Religious Sisters of Mercy. And before I introduce her, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about the Religious Sisters of Mercy. They are a religious institute dedicated to the spiritual and corporate works of mercy. The sisters profile the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, as well as the fourth vow of service to the poor, sick, and ignorant. Like all religious prayer is primarily activity of the Institute and of all their works of mercy must be expressions of and flow from their life of prayer. The sisters serve in a variety of professional disciplines in the areas of health care, education, and administrative service. Sister Maria Juan Anderson is a sister currently assigned to their convent in Clinton, Maryland, and she is studying towards a lesson check in philosophy at the Catholic University of America here in Washington. Welcome, Sister Maria Juan. How are you today? Good, thank you. It's so great to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming in. So I'd like to ask you, what is the difference between the Sisters of Mercy in Michigan and the Religious Sisters of Mercy in Clinton, Maryland? Well, I suppose the main difference would be our address, <laughs> because we're really just one big family. Um, our mother house is located in Michigan, so really our full title, most people would know us as the Religious Sisters of Mercy of Alma, Michigan. So that's where all of the sisters begin their formation, um, there at the mother house. And then we have convents all over the United States and several countries in the world. So once you've gone through the first couple of years of your formation there in Alma, you could be sent 
anywhere in the world. I see. So currently there are seven sisters assigned to the convent house in Clinton. Can you tell us what they're doing there? Yeah. So the main works of our house here in, in Maryland, a lot of the sisters come here to study. Part of that is because there are so many great institutions for higher learning here in the, in the area. So we have sisters currently studying medicine. We have a sister in her residency at Georgetown, another sister going for a master's in theology. One is pursuing a licentiate in canon law, and I am studying towards a licentiate in philosophy, as you said. That is truly amazing to think of all the different areas that you can be a sister of mercy and then have all these other things that you could be good at, whether it's medicine or be a lawyer or multi-talented. Yeah, so it's beautiful to see how the Lord uses those natural gifts that we have. And so education is important to our community for the purpose of greater service. So we can serve those who, who need our help, but also we can you know, evangelize a little bit at that level, you know, within the hospital with other physicians, maybe your other professors. Um, so it's a really a great means to taking the Lord to a lot of different places. That makes sense. Well, the Sisters of Mercy have been around since the 1800s, and your foundress, Catherine McAuley, is it, mm-hmm. was a very disciplined and young woman, and she had a beautiful calling to Jesus Christ. Can you tell our audience about your foundress and how she started the Sisters of Mercy? Yes, so um, Mother Catherine McCauley did not ever intend to found a religious order, but I think that's something she probably shares in common with many founders and foundresses. These are people seeking to follow the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, explodes in their life before their very eyes. So she lived in Ireland in the 1830s at a time when um, it was very Protestant Ireland, not very friendly to Catholicism. And so she really grew up knowing what it was to need to know your own faith, And her father would invite people into their home to teach catechism to young children. Um, And he actually passed away at an early age um, when she was she was very young. Um, I read she was 25 when she started. Yeah. And so she desired to really, you know, raise the situations, especially of distressed women. That was her main focus Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning. So she would bring young women into her home to teach them some sort of skill or a job, a trade, so then they could go back out into society. And then slowly, other young women started to join her in this effort. And the bishops approached her and said, you know, you have this great group of people doing great works. Have you thought about making this into a religious community, which was never her intention, but she was very docile to the Holy Spirit. And as you can see, you know, a couple hundred years later, we're still we're still at it. So, right. Well, now I've read that she's up for beatification. That's right. And uh, so she must have had some miracles that if people have prayed to her. Can you share with us any stories? Well, there's been several, you know, favors we might call them, and a lot of times they're more quiet little ways that she works. It was, seems to be kind of her personality, kind of these humble little ways of of helping to heal people. Nothing big and specific comes to mind, but every morning the sisters pray for her beatification, for her cause, um, just so that she can be known more in the world and in the church as an example of works of mercy and, and help others to know our Lord through that. Well, we'll, we'll pray with you yeah. to make sure that she gets uh, to beatification and eventually sainthood. So you're a sister of, of mercy, and I always like to ask a sister how you became a nun. Did you have a calling, a conversion to have a strong love for Jesus Christ? How did it happen in your life? Would you be able to share with us your personal experience? Yeah, well, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful question to ask any sister or anyone, actually, the way that the Lord really pursued their heart. Um, My own story 
is really one of grace, like all of us, I guess. But I think if I look back, I had a great youth ministry program in my parish. I mean, again, I was raised Catholic and received the sacraments, which we know, of course, is where all of the power comes from. Um, But specifically in my own life, the sacrament of confirmation. I just received a lot of grace. I probably couldn't have said it at the time, but looking back, um, just kind of this booster shot of grace, um, I was 15. Um, And just really grew in my desire to know more about the church and to know more about who Christ is. And slowly but surely, he kind of just tapped on my heart, I like Mm -hmm. to say, gently, you know, always gently. And I did my best to kind of plug my ears for a while (laughs) to that um, and went to college and then served in a couple of different ministries and worked for several years until finally I got up the courage to say yes to him. But through those Mm -hmm. years, was able to encounter many different religious communities in our in our nation um, which is such a blessing right now there are so many strong communities um, and to see the joy that these religious women had and the way they had given all to christ it was so, such a contagious thing to encounter that i thought well maybe i could give it a shot <laughs> well god's voice got louder yeah, and louder that's right. until finally you couldn't say no that's right and then it was probably figuring out what order you wanted to be with mm-hmm. so the sisters of mercy really you know, an order that really interests you, that you felt that you would belong That's and right. would be your community. Yeah, part of our charism and one of the things that we wear as part of our habit, I know you can't see this out on the radio, but um, is our cross. So it's a black cross, yes. and on the, in the center is a smaller white cross. Um, and that really symbolizes the black would be the misery of mankind, the suffering that any person might encounter, we all encounter, And the white represents the mercy of God, which penetrates that misery. And we do not have a corpus or the body of our Lord on the cross that we Mm -hmm. wear because each sister, we should strive to be Christ and to kind of bring together someone in their misery to God's mercy. And so when I heard that as this young 20-something-year-old, I thought, that's where I would like to live my life. You know, that's what I've been trying to do, but needed, you know, the common life, the life of consistent prayer was what I really desired, so I finally took the jump. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful story, Sister Maria Juan. I would also like you to tell our audience how the convent came about in Clinton, Maryland, and about the Vincent Capmona family and the Susan and Andrew Foundation. So if you could share with us the story about how the Monas became involved. Yeah, so you know the Monas have this beautiful family home, And of course, like it's kind of been a theme here, suffering. We all have it. Mother Macaulay had it. I have it. You have it. Um, And they encountered their own suffering, you know, with the loss of their son, Andy, first, Mm -hmm. and then later on, Susan. And so I think Cap saw this beautiful home and knew that uh, he wanted it to go to something good, to the church. And so he offered that to the archdiocese. And then in turn, that was offered to our community about 20 years ago. I think it's our 20th year here. So we are very blessed to have this beautiful home. And that was also part of Mother Macaulay's vision, you know, to create a home environment for people that we could be hospitable to those who need, you know, a place to visit. We have a beautiful chapel there. Um, So we're very blessed and grateful for that generosity of the Mona family that we could, you know, continue to make it a place of prayer and a place where people can encounter the Lord. Well, sister, we all have lost a loved one in our life. There's not a person out there that hasn't known somebody, a friend, a mother, a brother, a sister. And, you know, to go through this suffering of losing someone. And then after that, the person passes and the great love that is left behind after someone passes. 
So how can we understand when God calls us home? Is death the final end or is this the new beginning in heaven? What can you tell our audience? Well, I think, you know, we all, like, as you said, have death in our life affecting us. It's something none of us will avoid. It kind of unites the human family. But um, one of our patrons, St. Thomas Aquinas, has a beautiful teaching on death. And he, you know, every day we should be preparing for this, you know, and working towards that union with our Lord so that when he does call us home, we can recognize his face and follow him there. Um, But St. Thomas Aquinas also says that the Lord calls everyone at the moment they are most ready to receive his mercy. And to me, that is so consoling. That's Um, a good way to look at it. Yeah. And just to have, you know, faith and hope and trust in our Lord, um, in his providential care. Sometimes it's mysterious and hard, but that he's always, you know, there. Um, and then we had also Archbishop Laurie, who was a Monsignor Laurie, and Bishop Curlin, and also many other, and the Sisters of Mercy, of course, that came around the Mona family and offered a lot of masses and prayers. And I understand that at the end of Susan's life, they were praying the Legion of Saints. I didn't know about that prayer. I, what does that mean when they call on all the saints at a moment when the soul could be passing into yeah, heaven. I think it's a beautiful, consoling thing to call the saints to pray with us at these times, any time, but especially these times of great need or distress. Um, and so the sisters will often gather around someone who is preparing to die um, when it gets close. And we have many prayers that we like to pray, mm-hmm. um, prayers for the dying, as well as the litany of the saints, where we would just call to mind many, many saints, asking them to intercede for this person and for those present, and then to help lead them, God willing, and we hope very much to the arms of our Lord. Well, that's a beautiful um, statement and story uh, that you just told our listeners. Thank you very much. I would like to point out to our audience that you don't take care of the sick and the dying, that your order, the Sisters of Mercy, your work is in prayer. So could you just tell us a little bit about the meaning of having the convent and if someone wants to make a donation to the convent where they can find you and reach out to you? Sure. So as you said, in this specific convent here in Maryland, we do not take care of the sick or the dying directly. But again, we have our physicians living there who do serve in hospitals and our sisters run different clinics around the United States, medical clinics, Sacred Heart Mercy Healthcare Centers, um, where we operate those for patients for many different needs. Um, But if anyone would like more information about our community or the work that we do or would like us to pray for them in any way, the best place to direct you would be our website, which is rsmofalma.org. And there you can find contact information for us and learn more about Mother Macaulay and all the different apostolates that we're involved in. Well, that is so wonderful. One final question, Sister Maria. How can we tell our listeners who have lost their faith with God that are listening to our program today, they may feel despair or loss, what can you tell them is the best way to rekindle their faith? Mm, That's a big question. I think, you know, just having an open heart to the Lord, he just needs a little space to get in and to not be afraid to be in despair or to be in question um, and to go to someone that you trust and just to know that God's mercy is his greatest attribute. And he's always ready to welcome us home. Well, that is so beautiful. I get the tissue box out Mm -hmm. because we're all in tears here thinking about how much we love someone and what loss and love really is. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Christina. I will pray along for the Religious Sisters of Mercy and the Mona family. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
Established in 1992, the Susan Andrew Mona Foundation was founded on the element of a mother's love for her son. 26 years later, this local nonprofit operates on nothing less and carries on the tradition of neighbors helping neighbors. For more information, to donate, or to follow our projects, please find us on facebook.com backslash S-A-Mona Foundation. That's facebook.com backslash S-A-M-O-N-A Foundation. Well, welcome back to Catholics in the Capital, and I am Christina Cox, your radio host. Now we have Father Jack Hurley with us in the studio. Nice to have you, Father. How you been? Fine, thank you. And you? I'm doing well. Great. So now we're going into the Lenten season, and you've got a couple of saints and some information for us today. Right. There are a couple that I'd like to mention to lead us into the Lenten season. Yesterday, we celebrated the feast of an African slave, Josephine Bakita. She was born in, uh, in the area outside Sudan, kidnapped by slavers, often beaten and abused, and later sold to a Venetian merchant and brought to Italy in the late 1800s. And there she was treated as an outcast due to her black skin and African background. But gradually, coming closer to God, with the help of a kind local priest, she was baptized as a Catholic. Now, Josephine desired to join an order of Kenosha nuns, but her owner sought to keep her as property. A court case declared, however, she legally was not a slave, and this enabled her to become a sister for nearly 50 years, right up to her death in 1947. Her remarkable sanctity led ultimately to her declaration as a saint by Pope John Paul II in the year 2000. She obviously serves, therefore, as an intercessor for those suffering from abuse, discrimination, human trafficking, and certainly slavery. And she is the patron of Sudan. Tomorrow, February the 10th, is the Feast of St. Scholastica, the twin sister of St. Benedict and patron saint of Benedictine nuns. Her sisters were active in the archdiocese, and I served three years with them at St. Ambrose Parish in Chevrolet. One memory of Scholastica which remains with me is the time I spent staring at her image in the stained glass window, then a part of the confessional there. The principal story of Scholastica's life involves an evening she spent annually with her brother Benedict to discuss spiritual matters. While she desired to continue the conversation one year, he refused, citing monastery rules. But then a storm came up and he was prevented from leaving until the following morning. Benedict accused his sister of provoking the storm, to which she replied, I asked a favor of you and you refused it. I asked it of God and he has granted it. Perhaps the most popular saint of young lovers is the one normally observed on February 14th. Valentine was a priest martyred because he refused to follow the emperor's orders to stop marrying couples. The emperor desired more soldiers in his army not responsible for wife and family. However, this year, Ash Wednesday for the first time since 1945 falls on the 14th. This means that ashes, fasting, and the onstart of Lent take precedence to chocolates, although I suspect a valentine or two will still be exchanged. 
I doubt that dispensations of the fast will be made on this day, which is increasingly recognized by other Christians as well as a time to receive on their foreheads the burnt remains of the previous year's Palm Sunday branches. It may well be the busiest day at St. Matthew's Cathedral since so many working downtown stop in for Mass and for the imposition of ashes, which occurs after the Gospel and homily. Well, those are wonderful saints, Father, and especially I wanted to say I just read a statement by the Archdiocese explaining that Catholics will not be dispensed from the law of fasting and abstinence on Ash Wednesday and suggests that Catholics plan to celebrate Valentine's Day on February 13th, which is also Mardi Gras. So how do you feel about that? I think that's a good combination, yeah, because Ash Wednesday is certainly an important day to help us realize our mortality that comes in the, in the words that the individual imposing the ashes would say. Remember, dust thou art, not the dust thou shalt return. That's right. And Or th- there is another alternative, too. Turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. But certainly, the first one is a reminder of the, you know, the importance of keeping our fragility in mind and the importance of staying close to the Lord. Well, Father, instead of giving up food, if someone wants to do something else, what are other things that some Catholics give up in abstinence? Well, Uh, some might give up Facebook. Oh, that's a good one. Some might give up late-night television. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly, hopefully, nobody would give up EWTN. (laughs) No, please don't do that. I hate to ask. And there are other possibilities, and it's also an opportunity to do things, like try to be uh, more patient at home or at work. What about Stations of the Cross, maybe oh, once a week? Oh, that certainly is, is a wonderful you know, tradition, too. Well, great. This is our listeners out there, and we know that uh, Ash Wednesday will be coming up in the middle of the month. These are things that we can all be thinking about. Any last words, Father? Any advice? As we go into Lent? Well, I think that it's a, a time to come closer to the Lord. That's beautifully said. Well, it's great seeing you again. And um, we look forward to seeing you at the Cathedral of St. Matthews. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Father. Mona Electric Group is the leader in commercial and industrial electrical contracting in the D.C. Baltimore metro area with over 700 employees and over 250 trucks on the road. Founded by Cap Mona in 1966, Mona leads the industry in electrical service, renovation construction, new construction, fire alarm system, data system, and security system solutions. And with over $10 million in charitable giving as published in the Washington Business Journal, Mona Electric Group is the responsible choice in commercial and industrial electrical contracting. Visit GetMona.com for details. That's GetMona.com. Are you looking for a school for your daughter, grade 6 through 12, that offers an inspiring education grounded in the teachings of the Catholic Church? Oakcrest School, an independent all-girls school, has been doing that for over 40 years. For more information or to set up a tour at its beautiful new campus centrally located in Vienna, Virginia, go to oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T. That is oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T.
We're back to Catholics in the Capitol. I'm Dan DiBiase. I'm joined this segment with Michael Washaba for our event segment this week. You just listened to uh, Father Hurley talk about a unique situation where we have Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday on the same day this year, February 14th, this Wednesday coming up. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, Dan. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on this segment. Yeah, and so it's a unique situation. There's a lot of unique things going on this upcoming week, uh, like we just mentioned. So next uh, Wednesday, we have Valentine's and Ash Wednesday. But you know, with Ash Wednesday, you know, the Tuesday before in in some areas, it's pretty big. It's Mardi Gras. It is. And I've never, the big place, obviously, is to go down to New Orleans in Louisiana for the big celebration. I've never been. I've actually never been there, period. I know you like to go there, not on Mardi Gras, however, for the beignets. Yeah, the food, I mean, beignets at this time of year, another big thing for them is king cake. Okay. I don't know if you ever had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you get it from the right place, it's one of the best desserts you can ever try. But no, it's it's a great time, and it comes out of, the I guess, their French background. But also, I know uh, Mardi Gras is a very big celebration in Venice, Italy, too. Okay. Um, because we know it's really getting preparation, I guess, you know, for Ash Wednesday. You know, here, here comes Lent. So it's the last little bit of celebration. The last hurrah. Yeah. yeah, last little bit of indulgences before you have to, you know, kind of start your Lent, possibly, you know, give up something or restrict mm-hmm. something in your life. Well, I know up here at the, we're located in the EWTN television studios up here in Washington, D.C. And last year, the radio station and the television station, we got together and we had our little own Fat Tuesday feast, if you will, where we had a, a potluck, essentially. Everybody brought in a different dish. There was a king cake there as well. So it was a good time to be had by all that one final indulgence, if you will, before uh, we enter the 40 days before Easter. So going off of that, have you figured out what you're going to give up for Lent this year? I have not. Usually uh, what I've, I've been changing up for Lent is not giving up something, but trying to do something. I like it. Um, so I know we talked previously on the segment, you know, for uh, New Year's resolutions, I'm trying to read the Bible 10, 15 minutes a day. So something like that. Um, playing around with the idea of maybe, uh, you know, trying to spend, uh, you know, additional time, 10, 15 minutes in prayer, maybe doing, um, I heard one person, you know, trying to do the rosary daily. It's a good one. That's a good challenge. It is. Um, possibly. Or, you know, we do here, we do the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily. Mm-hmm. Possibly trying to reincorporate that another way throughout the day. But that's what I'm trying to think. What about yourself, Michael? I think I'm going to do a social media Take away social media aside from work, obviously. I got to still take care of those things here. But personally, for me, I mean, social media just drains your entire day away. Get on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you may have. You might want to get on it for three minutes. Two hours later, you're still on it. So I'm going to try to do the whole social media thing and try to take that time and use it in time of prayer and in the Bible a little bit more often, too. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully better than it has gone in years past, but you never know. Yeah, hopefully you're able to stick to it. You know, the 40 days of Lent, and uh, it's it's not like uh, the New Year's resolution where you That's have a right. whole year ahead of you. That's right. That's right. It's only 40 days, so it's not bad. Well, the interesting thing that Father Jack was mentioning is that Valentine's Day is on the exact same day as Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday takes precedence. He was suggesting perhaps celebrate Valentine's Day on the Tuesday, on the 13th, instead of on the 14th, as we normally do. And there are some different events around the city that are happening on the 13th and a couple days before the 14th, as well as a couple days after the 14th. So if you wanted to adhere to Father Jack's recommendation, there are some events that you can pull for your loved one that you may find interesting. One of them being, Dan, the 18th century chocolate tasting. Have you heard about this? Yeah, so this is uh, unique. This is at the uh, Anderson House. It's a nice historical mansion. 
uh, which is owned and operated by the Society of the Cincinnati. And what they're doing on February 13th, Tuesday, uh, for a small fee of $15, they're allowing people to come into the Anderson house and they'll do a a chocolate tasting. But what they're going to do is based on the early American origins of chocolate. So they're bringing an expert from uh, Mount Vernon to transform, you know, cocoa beans into chocolate and while relating the history of chocolate in 18th century America. And after demonstration, you get different samples of chocolates you get to try and, I guess, do some different crafts for loved ones for Valentine's Day. So it's a unique opportunity. Um, I'm sure, you know, 18th century chocolate might not be as sweet as right. 21st century chocolate. Probably healthier, though. But probably healthier? It is probably healthier because the darker the chocolate, the healthier it is, but the less sweet the chocolate also is. That's something that really intrigues me because I am a big-time history buff, so if I could get some information about that while treating my wife to some chocolates, hey, two for one, not a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. And just go to their website, societyofthecincinnati.org. Another thing that's going on, and they have these all throughout the course of the year, but they're now promoting a Valentine's Day special, is a Potomac River Cruise. And the Valentine's Day special is this. It includes a Valentine's Day dinner, and they have three dates for this. It's either February 10th, the 14th, which is actual Valentine's Day, or the 17th. So you have a a day before, the day of, and a day after as well. And with that, there's a private table with the incredible views of the DC skyline that accompanies the cruise, a delicious dinner buffet, complimentary champagne and a toast, and gentlemen, you get a rose. So you may get the, uh, the whole flower thing covered all in one. Also, there will be a dance floor with a DJ spinning romantic ballads, so a nice little slow dance opportunity for you and your loved one to share. You'll board at 6 p.m. The cruise is from 7 to 10. The price is $99, $99.90, so we'll just call it an even 100 bucks. If you are interested in that, go to spiritcruises.com or you can call them at 866-404-8439. So again, a couple really nice little things that are going on around town around Valentine's Day, but you can also get your ashes on Ash Wednesday and take care of the Valentine's Day a day before or a couple of days after. Yeah, so remember, uh, it's technically not a holy day, Ash Wednesday, but you do have to fast. You're required to fast, I know that, on Ash Wednesday. So go to your local parish for Mass if you can, get your ashes, and then uh, make sure you make those plans ahead of time for Valentine's for your special loved one. Gentlemen, don't forget Valentine's Day is coming up on the 14th, same day as Ash Wednesday, so take care of all that. He's Dan DiBiase. I'm Mike Washabaugh. Catholics in the Capitol will return on 1160 AM WMET on the Guadalupe Radio Network right after this short break. Stay tuned. Did you know taking the oral contraceptive pill for cycle irregularities may delay or prevent a diagnosis? Try the alternative in NAPRO Technology Approaches, networking natural family planning and women's health, which can help discover the underlying cause. You can find your local fertility care center at fertilitycare.org forward slash Maryland or visit adw.org forward slash family for in-person or distance learning options. Your cycles and your doctor's care in harmony with your spirituality. Not sure what gift to get for your loved one or what book to read next? Go to Pascal Lamb. 
Paschal Lamb is a full-service Catholic bookstore and gift shop. Located in Fairfax, Virginia, Paschal Lamb has a large variety of top-quality merchandise and a knowledgeable staff. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, call 703-273-5956 or shop online at paschallamb.com. Welcome back. I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capitol. And we're going to continue part two with Vince Cap Mona and Amanda Mona and Andy Mona. Andy, welcome back again. Thank Please you. continue to tell us what you were talking about, Mark Ballard, and how the foundation is helping him. Can you pick up the story where we left off in part one? Absolutely. Uh, as I was saying, Mark is a uh, definitely a friend, great family friend at this point. He uh, was an Army veteran, ended up getting a, a vehicle accident, and ultimately ended up losing his feeling and, and use of his uh, legs and hip. And he's bed-bound, bound to his home, and we've had the opportunity to to become friends with him and help him in any way we can. And it's been a great relationship. And one of the great things about finding Mark was the different avenues and the relationships between Mona Electric and the Mona Foundation and Christmas in April and how the three of us have been able to come together and to help this man who is absolutely in need of it. So you, you met him through Christmas in April. Why don't you tell us about that? So Christmas in April actually had uh, worked on his home and through the connections with Mount Electric and ultimately to the Mount Foundation, we were able to go visit him in his home and see how he lives and the things that he needs that really uh, myself, I take for granted every day. It's amazing to see. And how, how is his attitude? I mean, when he sees you, does he light up when you walk in the room? He's happy to see you. No, Mark's and always lit up. He's, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a great guy, and uh, it's always good to, good to see him and uh, just stop by when, when he needs something or just to, to bring him a, a meal. And, uh, no, he's, he's always just in high spirits. And, Cap, you know Mark, right? Oh, yes. I mean, it, it's just a, a person that I look up to that can handle the challenges he's going with. And uh, for a person who's not gotten out of bed in 16 years and who, for a while, the county and uh, others did not assist him and the basic functions of cleaning up, you can imagine, without getting into too much detail, your bodily fluids, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he didn't have help uh, sometimes uh, all week long. And, and uh, he handled it. And he went through uh, horrible rashes and horrible infections. And uh, so we got involved and pushed the county to make sure that they were supporting him and helping him. I actually took it up to the governor of Maryland, who helped tremendously, and we had help from the Prince George County government once they realized how atrocious this man's living conditions. And, of course, some of the people said, well, put him in a home, put him in a home. He doesn't want to be in a home. He wants to be in his own dwelling. And so we're trying to facilitate and help him uh, with everything. Again, if you want a a little bit of water, a drink of water, uh, you walk over to the fridge or whatever, and he can't do that. He's there. He needs help galore, and luckily he's had... One or two friends over his life that uh, have been able to come out and help him quite often. Well, talking about the storms of life, and he was a veteran. He gave his life for this country as well. No question, yes. 
Well, at least he has uh, the Mona Foundation to help him and um, sensitive people that are, you know, care about his needs. So that is a wonderful story. Tell us about the Christmas in April. It's going to take off on April 28th, is it? Uh, yes, in the last Saturday. The last Saturday in April is Christmas and April Day, and in Prince George's County, uh, we repair almost 100 homes mm-hmm. every year uh, with uh, over 3,500 volunteers. And over the past 29 years, we've repaired 2,600 homes with 80,000 caring, loving, community-minded volunteers, and uh, who've helped uh, with the. Uh, repairing of these homes, uh, the value, which approaches, is $50 million. That's just in Prince George's County. It's amazing. Oh, it is. So what are they going to do this year? The uh, recipients uh, make application in September, and uh, we have inspectors who go out. We have to make sure they own their home, and the, uh, they need the help, and uh, they're elderly or disabled, and uh, the homes are approved, and we, we get a work list of what needs to be done at each home. We get house captains who come in and act as a, a foreman that on that day or before that day, a lot of them, they, they take more than that one day to repair it. Uh, they'll go out on their own for over a week sometimes, people. and uh, But the main thrust is the volunteers, they know that it's just a one-day project, and um, the last Saturday is our big day. Well, a again. lot of repairs are going on and a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow, and but a lot of happiness and joy where we get more out of it as a volunteer than the recipient, believe me. Uh, when you, how much can you say, other than a doctor or a minister, how close can you get to a human being in their heart and their mind on a daily basis uh, besides a, a doctor, a minister, or whatever? But uh, we as volunteers that go fix their homes up, work right with them, they, we do whatever they need to make them, their life a little happier, a little more pleasant. And when they pat you on the back and cry and give, give you a big kiss, it well, is the most wonderful feeling that you could ever think of. Well, again, these people are walking through the storms of life, and then along comes the beam of light at the end of the tunnel, and they get these wonderful opportunities to be able to change part of their lives and go on and be able to be proud and not have to beg for help because you reach out, right? Oh, yeah, no question. And and all these volunteers, they're like little angels coming into the life of this uh, needy recipient. Well, that is a wonderful and inspiring story. Let's move on to the Andrew Mona Student Center that was dedicated by Cardinal Whirl, another dedication of a, at Bishop McNamara High School. And it was done, I think, in September, correct? Correct. Uh, it's a 350-person uh, capacity. Uh, it's a cafeteria. It's a cyber cafe. Uh, we also uh, put in a, uh, a garden and a bioretention pond and uh, the... Uh, the students at opening uh, when Cardinal World was there just elated that they have this facility where they can come early in the day and stay late after school and to be able to relax, uh, do a little homework, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> and get caught up with social abilities, etc. And uh, it, it's a hangout for them, and they take good care of it. They're very proud. I just saw a picture of it that's some building, beautiful, magnificent. And Andy, your dad went to high school there, right? Yes, yes, he did. So Dr. Marco Clark, who was the uh, president and CEO, he was here, and he was telling us some stories about your dad. Why don't you tell us a little bit when he went to high school there? He had a lot of fun at that school, and hopefully did some learning as well. I think he did. But uh, from did what I've get heard— in trouble? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say trouble. <laughs> 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 but uh, it goes to show the stories I've heard of how how big he lived his life and— 
the joy that, that he had with his family and his friends, um, the stories I've heard uh, with his time at Bishop McNamara High School. And like you said, I don't, I don't want to say he got in trouble, but the one of his friends I was talking to recently has said, you know, it wasn't always his fault. But, <laughs> That's but, a good way of putting it. He, was, he had a, a, another person who was... Uh, Right. He was blaming. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody seems to remember him. I, I mean, uh, when Marco was here, he was telling us some wonderful stories. And now his name still lives on with the Andrew Mona Student Center. And uh, his spirit is well alive. It seems like he's working with Sue in heaven. The two of them don't stop. Without <laughs> they, a doubt. They, those they're two. still reaching out and helping people. If you want a little story from Marco Clark... He was on the, uh, the bus uh, as a freshman, Marco Clark, president now of McNamara, and uh, they were going to go to a, a football game uh, away at another high school. And uh, the varsity, which Andy was, was a team leader and captain, spark plug, a motivator, whatever, he ran over to the bus, and he's pounding on the window. And he told them, you go you know, kick some you-know-what, whatever, and you go beat the such and such high school. And he took his, his, his helmet off. And he hit the glass with his forehead. You'd be as tough as I am. Boom, boom, boom. And Marco said, my God, he scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Amanda, you have uh, some uh, information you're going to share with us about the foundation and all the members that are involved, all the grandchildren. Tell us. Yes, it's been really exciting now that the torch has been passed on to us. Andy and I are kind of the day-to-day head, but... All 11 grandchildren were all involved uh, as members of this foundation, and it's a lot of people and a lot of ideas that we take very much pride in because our goal is just to keep the spirit of our grandmother and Andy alive and through the projects that we want to take on and these fundraisers that we want to do. So we um, we're working on um, a cookbook right now, which is an important project to me um, because she loved to cook. My grandmother loved to cook, and we spent a lot of my childhood cooking together. So um, we're working on putting a, a cookbook together, um, which was something that we had done a few years back. She As, left you some recipes. Oh, did she? <laughs> <laughs> we have so many recipes, and her handwriting is um, just makes the recipes and the food taste better when it comes from her. So we're using that, and we want to do like an outdoor movie. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah. We're just trying to, you know, we're holding our values and what this foundation was started on, but we also want to give it a fresh spin. And, you know, there's we're full of fresh ideas, and, you know, we're ready to keep making a difference. So we want to um, have a concert. We have many friends, including uh, Andy, who are um, musicians, and um, so we want to do, like, an outdoor concert idea we've got floating around and so yeah, where to put it all? We have a Facebook page. Um, it's under the Susan Angemona Foundation. So you can find us there and all our ideas and our pictures and what we've got going on. And is we can send there. you a like. Yes, you can like us. <laughs> There's a donate button. You can donate. There's or you can get a, be a volunteer. Yes, yes. We're always looking for volunteers um, and people who have ideas and and just you know goodwill to spread. So we, our doors are open, our ears are open, and. We're very excited to see where we can take this because I know we want to take it far. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Amanda. 
No, there are some listeners here today that are having similar challenges, going through some tough times. Cap, you're a man of faith, and you managed to do one of the hardest things while walking through a storm. What can you tell our listeners? How do you hold on when you're in a storm in life? Wow. Okay, first of all, you have to believe in, in a higher being, and, and, of course, Jesus Christ and, and the Catholic Church uh, got me through. And um, you just have to uh, lean on others and, and accept their help and uh, accept their advice. And, uh, yes, whether it be business uh, or personal, with Andy dying, and then we had a little son died after one day, uh, it's tough. But you leaned on God. All the way, oh, and yeah. brought your family closer together, I bet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's the important thing. So there is a ray of sunshine. You have to look for it, and you have to wait for it. Well, we're at the end of our program, and it sounds like the Susan and Andrew Mona Foundation is a very valuable one, and I hope listeners will go to the Facebook page and check that out. And I also feel that Susan and Andrew are working hard with God in heaven, so thank you for sharing their lives with us. Andy and Amanda and Cap, about the beautiful foundation. Today, their charity work lives on because of all of you. And the Mona grandchildren and this mission is a wonderful foundation. So tell us again one more time, Amanda, how they can find you. We're on Facebook. You can start go on the search bar, and it's the Susan Andrew Mona Foundation. Well, God bless, and thank you for joining us today. We will keep you all in our prayers. Thank you so much thank for having us. Thank you very much. Yes. And Catholics in the Capitol is an outstanding radio show. I hope more and more people listen to it. It's, it's faith in this future. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, that was some show today. I really feel spiritually inspired by having Sister Maria Juan Anderson on the show today. Sister's story was so uplifting, especially when she told us of her conversion and her calling to the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be awesome to be married to Jesus and to take your vows. You see, God is in all of us, and you just have to open up your mind and your heart to him, not to shut God out. I also like to thank Andy and Amanda Mona from the Andrew and Susan Mona Foundation and our friend Vincent Cap Mona from the Mona Electric Group for all the work their family did for others and to take their homes and to give it to the Sisters of Mercy for a convent, to turn a house of sorrow into a place of prayer and worship. Now that is so beautiful. Their help to veteran Mark Ballard, who was injured in a motorcycle crash that left him paralyzed, but through the help of the Andrew and Susan Mona Foundation, he wanted to live again with a life with purpose and his belief in God. So please contact Amanda Mona on her Facebook page of the Andrew and Mona Foundation and learn more about what they're doing. You know, to be a Catholic, one must practice faith every day. And with faith comes hope, and with hope comes love and courage. And God left us his own word in the Bible by the four apostles, Luke, Mark, John, and Matthew. When's the last time you picked up the Bible? Well, now that we're in Lent, you should do so. It's important that God's word is read every day and to say prayers with hands folded, to kneel on your knees and praise God with all your heart. This is what the Sisters of Mercy do. They pray for others and believe in God and practice their belief with discipline and open their hearts to others. I'd like to say a prayer for all the sick out there today. Are you ready? 
almighty and everlasting God, preserver of souls, who doubts correct those whom thou dost love, and for their betterment doubts tenderly chase those whom thou dost receive. We call upon thee, O Lord, to grant thy healing, and that the soul of thy servant at the hour of his departure from the body, may the hands of the holy angels be present without spot unto thee. Amen. I'd like to thank a wonderful co-host today, Dan Dan, the radio man, and Michael Wasabaugh, also our radio producer, and Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews, our fabulous team for the Catholics in the Capitol. That's it for today, and don't forget to tune in next week to meet my friend and mentor, former U.S. Ambassador of the Holy See, Raymond Flynn. And he was the former mayor of Boston. And we're going to talk about Pope Francis's trip coming up to Ireland in August and many other good works for Catholics he's doing in Boston. And then we have my friend Jake Heather, and he's the founder of the All Saints Museum. And he will share stories about the relics in his museum. So I'd like to thank all our listeners for joining us today, especially the Mona Electric Group, our sponsors, for joining us. Please like our page at Catholics in the Capital Facebook and email me at ChristinaCox at grnonline.com. I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capital on WMET 1160 AM. And before I go, join me in saying, God bless the Roman Catholic Church and God bless America. Now stay tuned for Dr. David Anders for Call to Communion.